This is a KSHSAA production. First down from the 17 is where they mark it officially. Here's Hancock breaks back at the 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Jane Hancock. Down to the other end, misses, shot won't go up the gun, and Eudora comes from way behind and goes crazy. Back to another edition of the KSHSAA podcast. I am Jeremy Holiday, and episode today we have another football-centered episode as we sit down with Mark Lentz to talk about uh, the new rules that you may see on the playing field uh, for high school football this year, and how the process about that goes with the football rules committee to get those changed or adjusted. So we'll t- sit down and talk with him, and also get some input on how coaches are adjusting to the new practice limitations uh, through his eyes, and then we'll do another football preview through uh, Vite Magazine as, as we introduce you to their magazine and where you can pick that up with Harold Bouchard. We'll sit down. The editor of the magazine gives him his football preview for the Wichita area and the season to come in football. So stay tuned. Talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. At times, players forget there's no I in team. Teamwork is what sports is all about, being able to bond and make relationships with others. This is a life skill and will guide you in the long run. This is Jason Rounder from Lemmerth High School with a message from the Kansas State High School Activities Association and the Student Advisory Team. Mark Lynch joins us on the KSHSA podcast for another time here to talk about football and, and the rules changes that are going to be noticed this year on the field. And one thing we wanted to start with with Mark is he is a member of the editorial committee for the football uh, NFHS rules and, and we wanted to talk about how these rules get wind down to six. You know, at the beginning of the year, the rules change proposals. There's many, many rules out there, but we wanted to talk about the process with Mark, how they narrow it down to six rules. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me. And you're right. There are, are many years where there may be upwards of 70 to 80 rule proposals that come from different states throughout the country. And the one thing that uh, that has to take place is, number one, any proposal has to be processed through the state association office, number one. And if the state association feels like that is worthy of, you know, further consideration, then they'll send it on to the National Federation and therefore would go in front of the NFHS Football Rules Committee. And when that rules committee uh, meets, and, and, you know, and you're right, I am a member of that rules committee, there are 51 members on that rules committee, which is... Uh, a lot different than many of the other sports that take place at the National Federation. So our committee will then, you know, take a look at every possible rules committee, or excuse me, rule proposal. But we also are put into subcommittees where we break down each of those uh, different rules, and uh, we decide four things. We have to look at four very important aspects of a rule proposal. One is risk minimization. You know, we have to always consider that in any type of proposal that is involved in a sport of football. The second is we want to preserve the sound traditions of the sport. You know, we don't want the sport to change completely because there are some tremendous traditions within the sport. And if you'd have too many rule changes, it makes it very difficult for everyone to continue to learn. Three, we have to uh, decide whether or not that proposal or that new rule could be officiated. Because if it can't be officiated, then there's no reason to have the rule. And the fourth big thing is we want to always have a balance between offense and defense. We don't want to create an imbalance because this proposal helps the offense, 
when it doesn't uh, at all help the defense at all. So we have to continue to look at those things when we break them down. And, you know, fewer rule changes are good. You know, like I said, the game is not broken. You know, we continue to look at uh, minimizing risk for athletes, and we continue to uh, do that throughout the process. If we look at, and I want to be clear, it's six rules this year. It doesn't have to be six. It could be zero. It could be ten. It just it was six this year. If we look at one that uh, people might notice, and you just mentioned the offense and defense, the balance there is the all the targeting talk and throughout the nation of football. The blindside hit doesn't necessarily just mean defense. It could be offense could be making the hit. So the, there was added language to the rule to clear that up. Exactly. And, and, you know, the rule's always been there, you know, where you have illegal contact. And, and it has to continue to be there. It's just more defined now. And it's also a situation to where that risk minimization factor continues to be, you know, a very important aspect within our rule change policy. Um, for example, you know, we've added the word excessive in there and, and unnecessary in the fact that you know, if, it, if an athlete does not have a chance to make a legitimate play on the ball, then a lot of times a blindside hit or a crackback block may be excessive or unnecessary and should be penalized as so. But if a player does have a, a legitimate chance to make a play, then those blocks could possibly be legal if they're legal, you know, by the rule of targeting and by the rule of spearing. So we have to continue to look at, yes, there's some judgment involved, but in reality, you recognize whether or not a hit was unnecessary or not. So and you've got to just make the call. We've got a coach to not you know, make those plays take place. We've also got to officiate it that way. The old adage of playing to the whistle blows isn't always the case because in reality, the whistle may not blow and it doesn't have to blow. You have to make a good educated decision on whether or not that play's over. That's a big one myth in football is the whistle stops the play, which isn't always true. Uh, I think a lot of fans need can realize that when they're watching the game. Another thing that you mentioned, Spearing, Spearing's been in the rule book for years, since 1971, the NFHS says. So one thing they did was let's define the difference between Spearing and targeting. Yeah, exactly, Jeremy. Um, the rule's been there for you know well over 30 years, and, and it's a good rule, and it's continued to be emphasized year in, year out. But we had to redefine it because of targeting. Because the targeting rule basically says above the shoulders, all right, so the head and neck area, we wanted to make sure spearing basically was redefined to say an act by any player who initiates contact against an opponent at the shoulders or below with the crown of their helmet, which is the top portion of the helmet. So again, redefining it. Does spearing take place very much in the game of football today? No, not really. I think... Uh, Coaches are doing a great job of educating their kids on the proper tackling techniques of keeping their head up and, and those type of things, and, and those are very important. But if it does take place, it needs to be penalized, and it's penalized for the safety of the individual that got hit, but also for that uh, individual who uh, initiated the hit in the first place. If we look at another rule that I believe people might notice, and especially if they're big NFL or college football fans, the difference in face mac face mask penalties when it comes to the high school game and how the roughing the passer penalty has changed this year. Yeah, exactly. A year ago, we added to the rule on roughing the passer, which meant an automatic first down to the rule, which, you know, you're protecting, protecting a player 
who was very vulnerable to injuries. So we had to add a little more to that, and I think that was very important to do so. But in doing so, we didn't want to eliminate the, uh, the fact that incidental face masks in high school could be penalized five yards. Not all face mask penalties are intentional. You know, in junior high and high school football, kids make mistakes. You know, they're still learning the game. They're still learning how to properly tackle. A lot of times they put a hand up and they touch the face mask. Well, that doesn't mean that that needs to be penalized, you know, 15 yards and, you know, an automatic first down. We do make mistakes, and officials have to make that decision of whether or not that was in the incidental. If they grab it, pull it, obviously, you know, that's a 15-yard penalty. But, you know, it's just a five-yard penalty on incidental, and we have to keep that in mind. If we – switching gears a little bit to not necessarily playing rules, but uh, a new uh, initiative or limitations that the association and the NFHS have focused on this last year, and, and that's practice contact limitations. Mark has just finished a, a tour of the state doing some rules meetings, but I wanted to get his opinion and, and any feedback he's got from coaches on the new practice limitations uh, put in place this year. Well, the practice limitations, and I thought, you know, the last podcast did a great job of, uh, of talking about these limitations and, and visiting with different people and getting, uh, you know, their thoughts is, is very important. And that's why, you know, obviously when we, you know, brought this initiative up to the executive board and, and to our board of directors, it was very important to involve coaches in that decision-making process as well as administrators. I think the plan has been well-received all in all. Obviously, it's forcing some people to make changes that uh, that is difficult for them to make, and and it's and it does. It is difficult to change your practice theory, to change some of your plans, to change games around, scheduling those type of issues. But again, it's all based on that minimizing risk. We're not the only state to have a contact limitation plan. All the states that play by NFHS rules, and even those two states that play by NCAA rules, which are Texas and Massachusetts, have the same contact limitation plans. Now, do they vary? Yes. Some are different than others, and, and that's very important to understand. Every state's a little bit different, and it has to be that way. But uh, I think our plan has been well-received, well and that's why we involve so many people in the process. Um, but, it, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't the critics to it as well. And we will continue to look at it when the season's over. You know, if there are adjustments that need to be made, then we need to make those adjustments and bring those to our boards for, uh, you know, that consideration. But the, the plan is good. It's there to, to help the young people that are playing the game. Yes, it makes changes, and yes, change isn't always popular. But again, I think everybody understands the reasoning why. And I think one thing we tried to emphasize, and I think any good football coach will tell you, and Mark being a former football coach, when you have this plan put in place, a big thing to teach, and you hit on it earlier, was spearing and targeting is teaching the right fundamentals of football, and I think it's allowed them to do that. Oh, absolutely. I think – our coaches today are doing a, a much better job than they've ever done. I'm not saying they ever did a bad job, but I think it's more emphasized. I think they're doing a great job of teaching kids how to tackle properly, how to block properly, as well as I think our officials are continuing to learn of, of how to officiate you know, the game properly and how to continue to look at you know, these type of incidents of how, how do we make it you know, minimize the risk for those athletes and do a good job. No one goes out to officiate to, to miss any calls. It's just like no coach goes out to, to call a play that doesn't work, um, as well as no kid goes out intentionally not to, not to block or 
not to miss a hole as a running back or miss a tackle. So there's not going to be mistakes made throughout the season, but uh, I think they're all the intentions are, are going in the right direction. Hi, my name is Colson Reams, and I'm a student at Beloit High School. My coaches have had a great impact on my life. Every coach I have in high school is encouraging and respectable. All my coaches teach sportsmanship and the value of hard work. They have taught me that nothing is given and everything is earned. Winning and losing with class is taught in every sport I have competed in. It's easy to forget, but if you do it, people will respect you and your team. A message from the Kansas State High School Activities Association and the student advisory team. Okay, Harold Bouchard joins the KSHSAA podcast. He is the editor of Vibe Magazine. Uh, Harold, thanks for taking time out of your day to give us a little preview of the Wichita area uh, football season of these uh, great high schools around the Wichita area. Thanks, Jeremy. appreciate it. I wanted to start with you. You know, Vite Magazine obviously does stuff throughout the year, but uh, a big football issue here to start the fall season is we're ramped up. We were just having a conversation earlier about schools off and going. Uh, little t- Harold just had a preschooler, granddaughter starting preschool today as, as we talk, so obviously a big day uh, for him. Uh, but how does a magazine like this, Vite Magazine, a publication, obviously it's online now too, uh, but also still printed. How? How does all this come together? I know you're the editor of the magazine, and and, and you got the publishers and graphic designers advertising. But what what makes this uh, magazine just get orchestrated and distributed? Well, it, Jeremy, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, taking your time to talk to me. But uh, uh, you know, it all starts way back in May, even before uh, uh, before the uh, uh, the school year ends, when we uh, and I and I think uh, Kansas pregame and other other uh, 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 media outlets do the same thing, but we start sending uh, 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 questionnaires out to the coaches way back in the first part of May, even late April, to uh, to get uh, to get some information to get going. But we spend a lot of time in June gathering information, uh, do a lot of writing in July, and uh, uh, we put the put the magazine together in the last week of July and. Uh, uh, inserted it in the Wichita area, distributed it in uh, the first week of August. But uh, I have a, a staff of about uh, seven or eight uh, part-time uh, uh, writers and the same with seven or eight part-time uh, photographers that uh, really do a great job and help me out a lot. And uh, I do a lot of the editing, but uh, they do a lot of the writing. And uh, somehow it all comes together. But uh, Mike Cooper's uh, the CEO and president of Fife and he's the advertising manager also. He does a great job getting the advertising and you have to do that with a 128 page section, obviously. And uh, uh, it just uh, somehow, uh, you know, you're sitting there about a week before the deadline. You you wonder if it's ever going to get done and it, it just seems to always come together. Well, it certainly is a nice publication. I've been looking through it online because I'm not able to. Well, if unless I wanted to order it or go down to Wichita and pick it up, but I, I, folks out there, you can go to online and look at this magazine. Uh, if you look at the front cover, you'll see that uh, the cover story is about the offensive lineman. Uh, Chris Berman would call him, you know, the big uglies and all that jazz. But uh, the title is it, it all starts up front. So how how does that, that a focus of the magazine or the cover story come about? What reached out this year to say, hey, let's let's recognize these great offensive linemen? Well, that that uh, idea came into my head almost a year ago, and uh, I had talked to the photographers throughout the 2014 season to to do some work. Uh, 
to kind of zero in on the offensive line and some of the big linemen in the area that that are doing well for just kind of for file photos for later on. But uh, offensive linemen have always been kind of the uh, the unsung heroes of a football team. Uh, a thankless job, but uh, uh, obviously very important to uh, to coaches and uh, and to to, to their moms and dads, as they said in the in the interview, it's really neat that I had these six kids come into the Wichita uh, and sit down and uh, get a get a, a cover photo taken. And then uh, Bob Lutz is a good friend of mine. He's a, also writes for us. Uh, he's a columnist for the Wichita Eagles. Sat down with them and wrote the cover story. And just some of the questions he asked uh, the kids about uh, playing their position, uh, about getting no recognition, and the pretty boy quarterbacks and all that. It was kind of fun to listen to these kids. But uh, uh, obviously, without offensive linemen, uh, the offense would not go anywhere. And I think uh, I think the quarterbacks and the running backs would be the first to agree with that. Well, that's very true. I was a quarterback myself in high school, so I understand that value more than anybody. Uh I wanted to get through, go kind of through this magazine and go hit on some classifications and some schools in your area. And if we start with, with 6A, I think one thing people might be looking at, and it looks like the focus is we could, is it possible to see a rematch between Derby and Hutch in the, in the state playoffs and, and a chance to get up to the state championship game? Well, I think that's a, that's a very good possibility, Jeremy. The uh, those two programs have been very strong for for many years. They had two classic games last year. Uh, both of them were 35 to 28 games. And what was ironic about it was Hutchison, or Derby defeated Hutchinson in Hutch in the, during the regular season. Then Hutch uh, came uh, went down to Derby and knocked off. Uh, uh, Derby 35 to 28 in the in the playoffs to to advance to the state finals, uh, and uh, both of them uh, very strong. Brandon Clark has a great team at uh, Derby again this year. They were nine and two last year and have 15 starters back. And uh, you know people tend to forget that Hutchison started the season two and four last year and then uh, won six straight games to get to the state finals before losing, but. Uh, Ryan Cornelson uh, uh, is in his second year now and lost some very good players, you know, Blake Middleton and, and Turner Wentz, but uh, they're going to be very tough. I mean, Hutch just kind of relo- reloads now, even with a new uh, coaching uh, uh, staff, and uh, uh, they're going to be very strong again. And I think if we if we wanted to focus maybe on a player within the Wichita area, especially at the 6A level, you can't look much further than Xavier Kelly, I think uh, you know I'm excited. I'm going to try to go watch a game there for Wichita East, a, a Clemson uh, football commit. But if you look over the schools that are were after him, it's the Blue Bloods. You'll say in football, Alabama, Michigan, Florida State, Georgia, a former uh, decommitted from Kansas State, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> one thing I do yeah. like about Xavier is I watched him in the 6A state championship basketball game last year, and he's just an incredible athlete. Uh, just give us a little more light on 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 this uh, future, you know, five star football recruit. Yeah, I mean, uh, you 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 said it all right there, Jeremy. Uh, Xavier is just a tremendous uh, young man and uh, uh, big big strong kid. Uh, uh, told Clemson obviously that he wanted to uh, could have could have uh, signed. Uh, uh, he's committed to Clemson, but could have uh, enrolled early. 
but uh, told uh, Clemson that he wanted to play basketball for Wichita East this year because it's a very important sport to him as well. And he, he felt beholding to, obviously, to his teammates where they won the state championship last year in Class 6A and have a very good chance of winning again or are going to be right up there. But uh, he's just a kid that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, that's the perfect example of uh, – of, of a kid that went to some big time camps and really impressed uh, uh, the coaches with his uh, size and speed. And uh, uh, you're probably going to see this kid eventually uh, be playing in the National Football League in a few years. He's just that good. And uh, uh, Wichita East is, is a school uh, that always has the, the physical talent, you know, put on the football field. And uh, uh, they just they need a little more consistency and uh, I think uh, a few more numbers and uh, they could be a team to be reckoned with as well this year. Well, it'll be interesting in 6A. We've kind of had this pattern going. To the, you know, uh, Shawnee Mission West wins. The East East takes a championship. Derby comes and wins a championship. Shawnee Mission East comes. Will the West come back and win another one? Kind of continue that pattern. I guess we'll have to wait and see in November. But uh, if we move on to – uh, 4A, the Division One side, it, you kind of touch on Augusta in, in the magazine about how there for a few years it was kind of uh, some uneasy waters there, maybe not a lot of wins getting counted for, but uh, they kind of turned it on last year, but also there's a, in that area you got a lot of good football going on there with Bueller and McPherson, so uh, that division is going to be a test again. Well, uh, 4A Division One is, is absolutely loaded uh, in, in the Wichita area, and, and you're right. Augusta um, was a team that had struggled for a few years, but uh, really kind of caught fire the second half of the season uh, under first-year coach Jason Philbeck and, uh, and, and, and played very well, almost beat the Andover Central uh, in the first round of the playoffs, lost 38-33, and... Uh, there's a lot of excitement uh, for the Orioles this year right now. And uh, they have 13 starters back. Um, uh, Coach Philbeck uh, has implemented the platoon system, which uh, used to be kind of a, a, a new thing. Uh, I know Solana Central owner Marvin Diener did it uh, way back, and uh, and Randy Dryling at Hutch. And I know there's several uh, uh, big schools that uh, do that right now. But – uh, you really rarely see that even at the 4A level uh, where it's a, th- a two-platoon system uh, that they implement because there's just usually not enough players. But uh, Augusta's doing that right now. It looks like it really helped uh, toward the end of the season, and they're going to be uh, uh, a very strong team to, de- to deal with this year. And then we got, of course, they'll have to go through the likes of, like you said here, we got Bueller and McPherson that will just, you know, they're just kind of, they don't almost, you can't say really reload or anything. They just keep on going. Yeah, uh, Bueller especially. Uh, they have one of the best players in the state, and Chase Williams, quarterback, uh, 6'5", 210 pounds. And uh, he's also a great uh, uh, basketball player and a baseball player. He can he could probably name his sport right now for college. Uh, but uh, I know that he's getting some strong looks. Uh, he's been to the K-State camps, KU camp, and uh, several other camps uh, uh, this summer. But, uh, you know, kids uh, passed for 4,000 yards and rushed for 3,300 yards in the last two years, which is really remarkable. But uh, Steve Warner has just done an unbelievable job at Dealer over the last decade. 
And, you know, they won a state title a couple of years ago, and uh, they're going to be right in the hunt this year. They have a big lineman, Jaden Abernathy, and, a, and, a, and a, a running back named Dylan England who rushed for 1,700 yards last year, but nobody talks about him because everybody uh, always talks about the quarterback. But uh, uh, Bueller's got it going. Uh, they're getting new turf put in, their football field there, a new stadium, and uh, – uh, they are as good as there is in, in, in Class 4A, either division. Well, I think everybody looked at that uh, district last year for sure as uh, uh, basically a, a representative from the West. I'm sure they're going to do it again this year. Uh, moving on to uh, Class 3A, the two teams I'd, I'd like to hit on are, are Halstead and Heston. Kind of Halstead surprised a lot of people, showed up and kind of went on a ground attack that uh, uh, snuck up on some people and really kind of hit him in the mouth. But, you know, you talk about Heston coming back, returning a few people. They lost some key aspects. But if we look at who's returning, Halstead's bringing back 14 starters, including a leading rusher in 3A. Uh, so it, it should be a definitely an interesting competition in that area. Well, yeah, and those two teams play, uh, you know, right off the bat uh, early in the season, which would be a great. it's going to be a great matchup between those two. Uh, they played the second week of the season uh, in Halstead, so that's going to be a classic, in, and it's going to be on 9-11, so that'll be interesting to see uh, on that Friday night how that works out, but yeah, you're right, the Halstead Dragons uh, uh, came within a, an eyelash of, uh, of advancing to the uh, uh, state championship game last year. They lose to, to Scott City 20-14 to in overtime. It was a heartbreaker I had a chance to win to 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 go to the state championship game against Rossville. But uh, they were ten and three last year under uh, head coach Jason Greider and had two great players. Back, well, several great players. But once again, as we talk, uh, Eli McKee, the quarterback and defensive back, and Blake Beckett, uh, their running back and linebacker, uh, both of them accounted for over four thousand yards of offense last year. And they're both back and and run, and like you said, have a great running attack. They're going to be very strong. And uh, Heston, uh, they lose, of course, they lose Grant Wright, uh, uh, Raleigh, who was the quarterback last year and uh, uh, is now at McPherson College, uh, recovered from that uh, that uh, very uh, uh, tragic uh, uh, skiing accident last year. And he's, uh, we all hope that he's going to be back 100% at McPherson College. But, uh, you know, they... Um, they're 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 moving Scott Dirksen from uh, wide receiver to quarterback this year at Heston, and uh, they did the same thing with Grant Raleigh last year, and it worked out pretty darn good. They were ten and one, and 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 had a great season. Uh, I think they're going to have the same thing, same same type of season this year, but they're going to be tested early with Halstead, and it'll be interesting to see how that game turns out. Yeah, it certainly will be. 3A is obviously a great uh, class for competition, widespread throughout the state. Uh, you're going to get representative from each corner. It's it's, it's a great class there. Uh, moving on, at lastly, we want to talk on some eight-man. And, uh, and one school that you kind of hit it on that started the season out 10-0 and last year but was upended by Hanover in the playoffs was Udall. And the fact that, the, hey, they, they tasted that success for a second year in a row, they're they're looking to come back for a third year. You bet. Uh, Udall has uh, uh, Wyatt Williams, the, the head coach there. His son, Nolan Williams, is the quarterback. Uh, 2,000 yards of total offense. Then uh, Dalton Luce, a running back, had over 1,300 yards rushing last year. Uh, they were 10-1 and one and uh, returned several starters. Uh, they're going to be very uh, tough to handle on the eight-man Division One. And 
I think uh, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see if uh, how they handle the very the very tough competition in the playoffs because I think Jeremy, as you know, uh, especially at the eight man level, at the small school level, with the uh, with the lack of numbers, uh, there's there's just certain levels at the eight man division. Uh, where you think you're pretty good at eight and one or nine and one, and then you meet another ten and O team that's much better uh, on the scoreboard anyway. And it uh, eight man football can really get out of hand sometimes uh, with the scoring because of the uh, because of the speed factor. And I think uh, Udall is going to be have to going to be able to have to handle that this year to uh, to advance in the playoffs. But uh, they certainly have a lot of good players returning and. Uh, and Wyatt, Wyatt Williams has done a very good job there. Well, we'll look forward to see if they could make it out to Newton there for the state championship game. Uh, Harold, I appreciate you coming and giving us a preview of all these uh, classifications, schools in your area for the Vite Magazine football edition. Uh, tell us where people can pick it up and, and if they can get it online, where they can get that. Well, at the Wichita, in the Wichita area, Vite is uh, at, at all Walmart stores uh, in the area in a, in a – in an eight-county area in Sedgwick County and all the counties that surround uh, Sedgwick County where Wichita is located, and then at all the Wendy's restaurants. You can pick up a copy there, or you can go online at pipe.com slash Central Kansas and, uh, and, and view the magazine that way. But uh, uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to have me on today. And, uh, you know, what I love about football, especially at this time of the year, that even the teams that have struggled or everybody's zero and zero and everybody has dreams of uh, uh, victories and having a good season. Well, that's very true. And, and I encourage people to go out and, and get, get pumped up for football and get one of these magazines and, and look through the articles that were wonderfully written by his staff there. And also uh, some good uh, feature stories on uh, scholar athletes of the month, whether no matter, not doesn't have to be footballers, a few volleyball players. And I saw in there. So, uh, go ahead and get that up, and it, it sounds like you're going to be pumping out a fall sports preview magazine uh, covering more than just football, uh, the other sports uh, here in uh, maybe a month or a few weeks. Yeah, uh, in fact, we're working on that right now. We're actually uploading the magazine next week. Uh, with uh, It'll be a 64- to 72-page uh, uh, magazine to preview the fall sports, uh, volleyball, uh, girls golf, and tennis, uh, soccer, and cross-country. And, uh, yeah, I, one thing uh, you touched on was the scholar athletes, and I think that's what kind of sets Pipe apart a little bit from maybe some of the other magazines that uh, we spend a lot of time uh, 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 getting getting nominations from schools about, about scholar athletes, about kids who get good grades, uh, do a lot of community service and volunteer work. And there are also all, uh, there's a lot of the advertisers in the Wichita area that like to promote those type of kids, and uh, and uh, that's a very popular uh, item in the magazine. Well, always good to talk to you, Harold. That's a good preview there of the Wichita area, things to come this fall. Uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, November will be here before we know it. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us again on this KSHSAA podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll have a volleyball preview coming at you with some cross country mixed in there on the next episode of the KSHSAA podcast. We'll talk to you next time.